0: Book the first, part six of a Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the First, Part Six. The telegraph had almost the attributes of a human being at Stancy Castle. When its bell rang, people rushed to the old tapestry's chamber allotted to it, and waited its pleasure with all the deference due to such a novel inhabitant of that ancestral pile. This happened on the following afternoon about four o'clock, while Somerset was sketching in the room adjoining that occupied by the instrument. Hearing its call, he looked in to learn if anybody were attending, and found Mr. Stancy bending over it. She welcomed him without the least embarrassment. Another message, she said. Paula to Charlotte. Have returned to Markton. I'm starting for home. Will be at the gate between four and five, if possible. Mr. Stancy blushed with pleasure when she raised her eyes from the machine. Is she not thoughtful to let me know beforehand? Somerset said she certainly appeared to be, feeling at the same time that he was not in possession of sufficient data to make the opinion of great value. Now I must get everything ready, and order what she will want, as Mrs. Goodman is away. What will she want? Dinner would be best. She's had no lunch, I know. Or tea, perhaps, and dinner at the usual time. Still, if she's had no lunch... Hark! What do I hear? He ran to an arrow slit, and Somerset, who had also heard something, looked out of an adjoining one. They could see from their elevated position a great way along the white road, stretching like a tape amid the green expanses on each side. There had arisen a cloud of dust accompanied by a noise of wheels. It is she, said Charlotte. Oh, yes, it is past four. The telegram has been delayed. How would she be likely to come? She has doubtless hired a carriage at the inn. She said it would be useless to send to meet her, as she couldn't name a time. Where is she now? Just where the boughs of those beeches overhang the road. There she is again. Mr. Stancy went away to give directions, and Somerset continued to watch. The vehicle, which was of no great pretension, soon crossed the bridge and stopped. There was a ring at the bell, and Mr. Stancy reappeared. Did you see her as she drove up? Is she not interesting? I could not see her. Ah, no, of course you could not from this window, because of the trees. Mr. Somerset, will you come downstairs? You will have to meet her, you know. Somerset felt an indescribable backwardness. I will go on with my sketching, he said. Perhaps she will not be... Oh, but it would be quite natural, would it not? Our manners are easier here, you know, than they are in town, and Miss Power has adapted herself to them. A compromise was effected by Somerset declaring that he would hold himself in readiness to be discovered on the landing at any convenient time. A servant entered. "'Miss Power,' said Mr. Stancy, before he could speak. The man advanced with a card. Mr. Stancy took it up and read thereon, "'Mr. William Dare.' "'It is not Miss Power who has come, then?' she asked with a disappointed face. "'No, ma'am.' She looked again at the card. "'This is some man of business, I suppose?' Does he want to see me? Yes, Miss. Leastwise he will be glad to see you if Miss Power is not at home. Mr. Stancy left the room and soon returned, saying, Mr. Somerset, can you give me your counsel in this matter? This Mr. Dare says he is a photographic amateur, and it seems that he wrote some time ago to Miss Power, who gave him permission to take views of the castle and promised to show him the best points. But I have heard nothing of it. And scarcely know whether I ought to take his word in her absence. Mrs. Goodman, Miss Powers' relative, who usually attends to these things, is away. I dare say it is all right, said Somerset. Would you mind seeing him? If you think it quite in order, perhaps you would instruct him where the best views are to be obtained. Thereupon, Somerset at once went down to Mr. Dare. His coming as a sort of counterfeit of Miss Power disposed Somerset to judge him. "'with as much severity as justice would allow, "'and his manner for the moment "'was not of a kind calculated "'to dissipate antagonistic instincts. "'Mr. Dare was standing before the fireplace "'with his feet wide apart "'and his hands in the pockets of his coat-tails, "'looking at a carving over the mantelpiece. "'He turned quickly at the sound of Somerset's footsteps "'and revealed himself as a person "'quite out of the common. "'His age, it was impossible to say, There was not a hair on his face which could serve to hang a guess upon. In repose he appeared a boy, but his actions were so completely those of a man that the beholder's first estimate of sixteen as his age was hastily corrected to six and twenty, and afterwards shifted hither and thither along intervening years, as the tenor of his sentences sent him up or down. He had a broad forehead, vertical as the face of a bastion, and his hair, which was parted in the middle, hung as a fringe or valance above, in the fashion sometimes affected by the other sex. He wore a heavy ring, of which the gold seemed fair, the diamond questionable, and the taste indifferent. There were the remains of a swagger in his body and limbs as he came forward, regarding Somerset with a confident smile, as if the wonder were not why Mr. Dare should be present, but why Somerset should be present likewise. And the first tone that came from Dare's lips "'wound up his listeners' opinion that he did not like him. "'A latent power in the man, or boy, "'was revealed by the circumstance that Somerset did not feel, "'as he would ordinarily have done, "'that it was a matter of profound indifference to him "'whether this gentleman photographer were a likable person or no. "'I have called by appointment, "'or rather I left a card stating that today would suit me, "'that no objection was made.' somerset recognised the voice it was that of the invisible stranger who had talked with the landlord about the distances mr Dare then proceeded to explain his business somerset found from his inquiries that the man had unquestionably been instructed by somebody to take the views he spoke of and concluded that dare's curiosity at the end was after all naturally explained by his errand to this place blaming himself for a too hasty condemnation of the stranger who, though visually a little too assured, was civil enough verbally, Somerset proceeded with the young photographer to sundry corners of the outer ward, and thence across the moat to the field, suggesting advantageous points of view. The office, being a shadow of his own pursuits, was not uncongenial to Somerset, and he forgot other things in attending to it. Now in our country we would stand further back than this, and so get a more comprehensive coup d'oeil, "'said Dare, as Somerset selected a good situation. "'You are not an Englishman, then?' said Somerset. "'I have lived mostly in India, Malta, Gibraltar, "'the Ionian Isles, and Canada. "'I there invented a new photographic process "'which I am bent upon making famous. "'Yet I am but a dilettante, "'and do not follow this art at the base dictation "'of what men call necessity.' "'Oh, indeed,' Somerset replied. As soon as this business was disposed of, and Mr. Dare had brought up his van and assistant to begin operations, Somerset returned to the castle entrance. While under the archway, a man with a professional look drove up in a dog-cart and inquired if Miss Power were at home today. "'She has not yet returned, Mr. Havill,' was the reply. Somerset, who had hoped to hear an affirmative by this time, thought that Miss Power was bent on disappointing him in the flesh, notwithstanding the interest she expressed in him by telegraph, and, as it was now drawing towards the end of the afternoon, he walked off in the direction of his inn. There were two or three ways to that spot, but the pleasantest was by passing through a rambling shrubbery between whose bushes trickled a broad shallow brook, occasionally intercepted in its course by a transverse chain of old stones, evidently from the castle walls, which formed a miniature waterfall the walk lay along the river brink. Soon Somerset saw before him a circular summer-house formed of short sticks nailed to ornamental patterns. Outside the structure, and immediately in the path, stood a man with a book in his hand, and it was presently apparent that this gentleman was holding a conversation with some person inside the pavilion, but the back of the building being towards Somerset, the second individual could not be seen. The speaker at one moment glanced into the interior, and at another at the advancing form of the architect, whom, though distinctly enough beheld, the other scarcely appeared to heed in the absorbing interest of his own discourse. Somerset became aware that it was the Baptist minister, whose rhetoric he had heard in the chapel yonder. "'Now,' continued the Baptist minister, "'will you express to me any reason or objection whatever which induces you to withdraw from our communion?' It was that of your father, and of his father before him. Any difficulty you may have met with, I will honestly try to remove, for I need hardly say that in losing you, we lose one of the most valued members of our Baptist church in this district. I speak with all the respect due to your position when I ask you to realize how irreparable is the injury you inflict upon the cause here by this lukewarm backwardness. I don't withdraw said a woman's low voice within. What do you do? I decline to attend for the present. And you can give no reason for this? There was no reply. Or for your refusal to proceed with the baptism? I have been christened. My dear young lady, it is well known that your christening was the work of your aunt, who did it unknown to your parents when she had you in her power, out of pure obstinacy, a church with which she was not in sympathy, taking you surreptitiously and indefensibly to the font of the establishment, so that the rite meant and could mean nothing at all. But I fear that your new position has brought you into contact with the Baptists, that they have disturbed your old principles, and so induced you to believe in the validity of that trumpery ceremony. It seems sufficient. I will demolish the basis of that seeming in three minutes. Give me but that time as a listener. I have no objection. Very well. First, then, I will assume that those who have influenced you in the matter have not been able to make any impression upon one so well-grounded as yourself in our distinctive doctrine by the stale old argument drawn from circumcision. You may assume it. Good. That clears the ground and we now come to the New Testament. The minister began to turn over the leaves of his little Bible, which it impressed Somerset to observe was bound with a flap like a pocket-book, the black surface of the leather being worn brown at the corners by long usage. He turned on till he came to the beginning of the New Testament, and then commenced his discourse. After explaining his position, the old man ran very ably through the arguments, citing well-known writers on the point in dispute when he required more finished sentences than his own. The minister's earnestness and interest in his own case led him unconsciously to include Somerset in his audience, as the young man drew nearer. Till, instead of fixing his eyes exclusively on the person within the summer-house, the preacher began to direct a good proportion of his discourse upon his new auditor, turning from one listener to the other attentively, without seeming to feel Somerset's presence as superfluous. And now, he said in conclusion, I put it to you, sir, as to her, do you find any flaw in my argument? Is there, madam, a single text which, honestly interpreted, affords the least foothold for the Peter In other words, for your opinion on the efficacy of the right administered to you in your unconscious infancy, I put it to you both as honest and responsible beings. He turned again to the young man. It happened that Somerset had been over this ground long ago. Born, so to speak, a high-church infant, in his youth he had been of a thoughtful turn, till at one time an idea of his entering the church had been entertained by his parents. He had formed acquaintance with men of almost every variety of doctrinal practice in this country, and, As the pleadings of each assailed him before he had arrived at an age of sufficient mental stability to resist new impressions, however badly substantiated, he inclined to each denomination, as it presented itself, was everything by starts and nothing long, till he had travelled through a great many beliefs and doctrines without feeling himself much better than when he set out. A study of fonts and their origin had qualified him in this particular subject, Fully conscious of the inexpediency of contests or minor ritual for the differences, he yet felt a sudden impulse towards a mild intellectual tournament with the eager old man, purely as an exercise of his wits in the defence of a fair girl. Sir, I accept your challenge to us, said Somerset, advancing to the minister's side. End of Book the First, Part Six